Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Thanks for joining us today. We're continuing our sermon series called Unstoppable, and we're actually approaching the end of the story of the beginning of the church, uh, the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, you know, so today we're going to pick up where we left off last week, and our title, the title for my message today is Paul's Five Minutes Before the King. Paul's Five Minutes Before the King. Now, before we get started, um, I, I don't know how well you can see it, but but today I'm wearing uh, a t-shirt. I usually dress up for these videos for our church services, uh, but today I'm wearing a t-shirt because I wanted to, uh, to, to thank uh, our churches. We're actually supported, our ministry faith dialogue. Uh, we operate Celebrate Seniors for the residents at the Windsor. And we're actually supported um, by, by three churches. And we've been supported by two of those for quite a while now. And, and the third one came on board, they gave us a little shirt that says, I'm on a mission. And, and what a blessing, what a blessing to have churches not only supporting us financially, and that's really not the, the point. The, the point is supporting us in prayer and in encouragement. Uh, we get a lot of our volunteers from our area churches as well. So I, I wore the t-shirt today. It's, uh, it, it just fits me just perfect, and I wanted to kind of show it off and, and remind myself, again, to, to thank our churches. Uh, we, we love our supporters. We love our churches. Uh, we can't possibly do this uh, without the support of the church. So today, we're picking up again where, where we left off last week, and, and uh, Paul is going to give his, his testimony before King Agrippa. Now this is a one of a handful of accounts that speaks of Paul's encounter uh, that we know very well, his encounter on the road to Damascus. Uh, today, however, I, I want to just not review the encounter. And you'll see we'll go through the scripture verses. There's 26 verses in all. Uh, however, I, I want to particularly point out uh, that what we're going through is Paul's testimony. Uh, it was to be Paul's defense before King Agrippa, along with the governor Festus and, and uh, Bernice. But at the same time, we take a look at this as a, as a testimony. Uh, Paul's, uh, these 26 verses, um, if you read them through without stopping, just take your time and read them through, it takes about five minutes. Um, it's, it's an amazing uh, an account that Paul gives in, in defense of his life, but at the same time, it, it's a great example of what a testimony uh, truly looks like. Now, this is the, this is the great apostle Paul. Uh, Paul has unique talents. He's conversant in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. He's a truly talented individual that's filled with the uh, Holy Spirit. At the same time, his five minutes before the king serves as an illustration of a very successful method in sharing our testimony, uh, of telling our friends about Jesus. One of the words that is used to describe this that's sometimes scary is the idea of evangelism. Uh, but don't be frightened by a fancy Greek word. Uh, evangelism, evangelon, evangelism comes from the Greek word evangelon, which just means good news. So it's just telling people of the good news. 
So I'm going to start off today in verse 1 of, cha of, of chapter 26, and we'll proceed as normal, going through reading some verses and talking a little bit about it. But I want you to pay attention as we go through of how Paul very carefully crafts his testimony to make sure that he has the attention of the audience and it's having the desired effect. So let's start in verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. Now, this is a continuation of the story that started when the new guy on the block, this is Festus, who was less than, um, less than successful. Uh, actually, we can call him frustrated as he came away from the trial of Paul at Caesarea. You know, we don't know if this is the first trial that Festus ever presided over, but it's definitely the first trial in Caesarea. Uh, Festus has been on the job for less than a month, possibly only a few weeks. And Festus, not wanting to offend the Jewish leaders, his powerful clients, ends the trial with Paul without a verdict. Primarily because he knows that Paul is innocent. But Paul is also smart enough to know that he would not voluntarily allow himself to be tried back in Jerusalem. Paul has appealed to Caesar. And that's Caesar Augustus, who was the ruler of the Roman Empire and also the boss of, of Festus. Now Agrippa and Bernice come to welcome Festus. But Festus, rather than being able to use this visit for his political advantage, understands that even at a disadvantage, he's got to ask Agrippa for some help. Now, Festus knew that Paul was innocent. He had no charges to file against him. In many ways, he was likely more troubled that, than Paul, as Festus, uh, Festus's predecessor was Felix. And Felix had been deposed. He had been fired from his job and said, packing back to Rome. Uh, that was that was why Festus was so interested in making sure that he was doing the Jewish leaders a favor. We left last week with the final verse of, ch of chapter 25, which explained that Festus could hardly send Paul to Rome without an acceptable explanation to, Felix, to, uh, to uh, Caesar. Now, fortunately, King Herod Agrippa and Bernice had arrived in Caesarea. Uh, and they had agreed to hear Paul personally. Now, this was a big, big break for Festus, as Agrippa was knowledgeable in all things Jewish. And perhaps he could shed some light on the actionable charges to include in Festus's letter to the Caesar, Caesar Augustus, his lord. Paul is given permission to speak. And I want you to notice that in verse 3, Paul acknowledges that Agrippa is an expert in all customs and questions. We call that all things Jewish. And then Paul asks Agrippa to hear me patiently. Paul is going to take less than five minutes, but he's already pleading with Agrippa to please pay attention. Don't get us distracted. Paul wants uh, King Agrippa's attention because he has something very important to communicate with him, and it's probably not what Agrippa is expecting. So let's continue with Paul's five-minute testimony. This is verse 4. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know, 
They knew me from the first. If they were willing to testify that I, according to the strictest sect of the religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand and I'm judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our 12 tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and they were put to death. I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Now, Paul begins by speaking of his youth, his youth in Jerusalem. He doesn't dwell on the topics, but let them know, let them know two important details. He had spent a considerable amount of time in Jerusalem, and he was a Pharisee, the strictest sect of, sect of the Jewish religion. Now Agrippa know, knows full well exactly what that means. The leaders of the Jews were both Sadducees and Pharisees, and Agrippa was aware that the Sadducees were the power brokers. The Pharisees were more likely to be fouling their heart, had their passion rather than their purse. Now Paul will give his defense, but he from the beginning will frame this as a, a spiritual dispute. Agrippa is an expert in Jewishness, and Paul begins with his own involvement and commitment to Judaism at an early age. Paul states in verse 6, he says, Now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise are twelve tribes earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. Now what is he talking about? He's talking about the promise of the Messiah. The Jewish people were looking for the Messiah that would be a deliverer, a deliverer of them spiritually, but also politically, to be able to take off the shackles of Rome. Now, Paul, no doubt, hopes that Agrippa will immediately understand the hope of the promise. What is the promise of the 12 tribes? Well, again, not only is the Messiah, but it's also the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of the righteous, and the advent of the Messiah. Now Paul then jumps in and speaks of his passionate persecution of the Christians. Paul is giving his testimony, and this is part of his defense as well. Paul says in verse 9, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary, contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Now here's the point that we can all make. You don't have to be Saul breathing fire and having letters from Jerusalem to persecute and destroy the followers of the way by doing things contrary. Paul will use these same words, same words to a letter that he'll write to the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 17, Paul says this. He says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Now Paul continues his testimony and uses one of the primary beliefs of the Pharisees to begin to probe Agrippa as Paul is witnessing to Agrippa as well as Bernice and Festus. Paul says these words. He said, why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? 
Now this refers both to the general belief in the resurrection of the dead, as well as the particular belief that Paul had, and the followers of the way have, that you and I have, that Christ rose from the dead. Remember, Festus had already said that the contention with Paul was that there was a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. Now before Paul speaks of his conversion, he speaks of his own wrath. The wrath of man is always contrary to the Spirit of God. Paul says that he was exceedingly enraged against them, against those that believed in Jesus. Before his conversion, Paul was an angry man. His great wrath showed that his relationship with God was not right, despite his being a Pharisee. Later, we'll talk briefly about this five-minute testimony, and this is what we call, Paul is telling us what we call B.C., before Christ. Paul's testimony is a testimony of the saving grace of Jesus Christ and the resulting change from before Christ to after Christ. Let's continue, verse 12. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this very purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people, as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes, in order to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now Paul speaks of his conversion, but this is much more about his testimony and belief in the risen Jesus than a critical part of his actual defense. Seven verses describe his conversion, um, that's the, on the road to Damascus, while his entire defense is contained in just 17 verses. This is all told in about two minutes, just two minutes. Paul's experience of being confronted by the risen, glorified Jesus was the turning point in his life. What we call it, we call this the encounter or the encounter with Jesus. Again, we'll see this again from the viewpoint of giving a testimony, as the encounter is part of everyone's testimony. The violence, the encounter with Jesus changed Paul from the old man, a violent persecutor of the church, to the new man, a believer, a believer in his conversion and a powerful proclaimer of the God, of God, his commission. Paul did not describe his conversion as some kind of evolution. Conversions are typically not marathon runs, but often lightning bolts. There's a moment of conversion when the Holy Spirit quickens the new believer. We pass from death to life. We become a new creation. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Paul says, so whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Now we've heard of Paul's testimony, uh, we've heard of this testimony no less than three times prior. However, these words, it's hard for you to kick against the goads, are unusual. 
uh, they're found in this account. And I thought it would be good to talk about what is being said here by the Lord, because these are unusual words. Now, the phrase, kick against the goats, or, or kick against the pricks, as it's translated in the King James, uh, we are told is a, a Greek proverb, a Greek saying, an expression that comes from agriculture, as oxen and plow mules and horses are often prodded or poked um, to go forward by a sharp stick or a prick. Stubborn animals, instead of moving forward in the intended direction, would sometimes kick back. They would kick against the goads and actually injure themselves. Now, Paul was being told by the Lord that his rebellion against the living God was a, a losing battle. Paul's actions were as useless as an ox kicking against the goads. Why am I reminded, for some reason, of my nine-month-old puppy and all of our training methods? I wonder which one of us is actually kicking against the goats. Now, notice that Paul doesn't report all of the details of his actions over the next three days or of his conversion, nor does he go into a lot of detail regarding his former life. Paul sticks with the high points. He's doing this as he desperately wants the attention of his audience, King Agrippa, Bernice, and Festus. He wants them to pay attention. There's even a larger audience that is assembled as well, and Paul, no, no doubt, is aware that some of them are listening on as well. He wants them to understand his testimony even more than he wants them to believe that he is innocent. Paul's focus is on Jesus. Who actually, claim, who actually was who he claimed to be, the Messiah, and that the Jews as well as the Gentiles were wrong to have rejected and crucified him. He also, in mentioning that Jesus spoke to him directly, gave evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 17 and 18, Paul summarizes what Jesus had instructed him to do. Paul puts it in summary form. And he noticed the word is very inclusive. This is an open invitation as well to all of those that are hearing Paul's testimony. Paul says, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as the Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles, to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to life, from Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You know, Paul summarizes this from darkness to light, from Satan to God, to receive forgiveness, to receive an inheritance. Paul's preaching. He's teaching that they could be saved because of Christ. So let's continue. Verse 19. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all of the regions of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works benefiting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now, verses 19 to 23 that we read is actually the conclusion of Paul's defense. Soon, Paul will be interrupted. And remember, in giving a testimony that this is not unusual, the audience is getting information that is challenging their spirit. The inner person knows that there is a God, knows that there's right and that there's wrong, knows very well that they are 
far from perfect and most likely um, deserving of judgment. So Paul now presses in. And he presses in to show that his encounter with the resurrected Jesus changed his life. He's no longer persecuting the church, but he's preaching Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ. His conversion and his commission was the basis for the life which he now lives. And he would not disobey the instructions of the Lord. His desire was to fulfill his calling, his commission. Paul's defense is that it was this pursuit or this calling which actually brought on the persecution that he's facing. Paul was once a, the Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee of the strictest order. He was once the fair-haired boy who had letters from the Jewish leaders. He was under orders, but no longer. Now, these same leaders wanted him dead for simply believing that Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus rose from the dead. Now, even in his defense, Paul gives the glory to God. Jesus is the Messiah. He was crucified, buried, but he's alive. He is the hope not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles as well. In his testimony, notice Paul's passion. This is not just about God. This is about a changed life. Paul had changed, and others can change as well. Let's continue. Remember I said that Paul would be interrupted, and this is exactly what happens in the next verse. Verse 24. Now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these changed. Now, when he had said these things, the king stood up as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with him. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, This man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So Festus stands up and says, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. Now, has this happened to you? You know, the gospel, when properly presented, will often anger people. Many people will think that we're crazy. Paul put it this way, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18. Now Paul did a, a masterful job in presenting the gospel. Paul used three things that are extremely important in a testimony. He used truth, history, and the evidence of a changed life. Because it was based on historical events, such as the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, things which were not done in a corner, but open to examination. That's exactly what Paul said. It was Festus that made the outburst. So Paul, instead of answering Festus, turns to Agrippa. And he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Paul is trying to get his respondent to reply in the affirmative. This is a great part of any testimony. Have you thought of the afterlife? Do you believe in heaven and in hell? Have you heard that your sins can be forgiven? 
Are you ready to make Jesus the Lord of your life? Notice that Paul was correct in addressing Agrippa. For the king replied, you almost, almost persuade me to become a Christian. You know, many people have tried to understand the true meaning of Agrippa's comments. Some understand it to be sarcastic. Some believe that Agrippa is speaking of how little time had passed, that he needs more information. I like to focus on the word almost. You know, it's similar to our, to our word that we use in the English language, you are close. Close, but no cigar, we say. The saying is that, the, the saying is that, yeah, that close only counts in horseshoes and in hand grenades. You know, what's most unfortunate is that by saying almost, or saying we are close, Agrippa, as well as everyone that gets to this point, to the point that they've been delivered the gospel. Remember, this, the gospel was gift-wrapped by Paul. It was given to them on a platter. Paul told them exactly who Jesus was, what he had done, and how he had the power to change life, just as he had changed Paul's. Agrippa actually condemned, condemned himself by rejecting the offer that Paul offered, the offer of salvation, of forgiveness of sins, and becoming a, a new creation. And he needed it. Agrippa was living in sin with his sister. He was self-absorbed, political, wicked, egocentric, a bogus king whose only interest was in himself and not making life better for his subjects, but perpetuating his legacy, the legacy of the Herodian dynasty. And who's sitting next to Agrippa? It's his sister, <laughs> Bernice. She's there listening to Paul's testimony as well. And she even more so, a sinful, immoral woman. Now, as bad as she was, Paul was offering her the same gift, the gift of Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins, a new life, a hope in the resurrection of the dead. Now, in front of them all, in front of Festus and Agrippa and Bernice, stands the man, Paul. Now, how did Paul do in defending himself? Well, our scripture ends today with these with this verses, with these three gathering together, to discuss Paul's case. This is what they conclude. This man is doing nothing deserving of death or change. Then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free had he not appealed to Caesar. Okay, so now we've gone through the 26 verses. Now, like I said, if, we, if we'd gone through them straight, it would have only taken us about four minutes and 15 seconds. Um, now, Paul's testimony is a great example, a great model for all of us in giving a witness for the Lord. There's a few things that we can learn from Paul's testimony, particularly in giving a witness for the Lord. The first thing, keep it short. You should be able to tell anyone about Jesus in less than three minutes. We want to, we want to convince people, not put them to sleep. You know, I've taught uh, this a number of years. Typically what I'll do is I'll teach a class and I'll take some people aside and we'll have them actually write out or deliver their testimony. We won't tell them anything about a time limit. We'll just tell them to give us their testimony. And the time will go on, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, a half an hour, sometimes even longer. Um, and then what we do is we start having them work on their testimony to include the essential elements like Paul did, but to keep it short, definitely under five minutes. The second thing is the key components of the testimony are these three, what we call BC, which is my life before Christ. The second thing is the encounter, 
When did I meet Jesus? When did he change my life? What, what happened? Did I raise my hand? Did I hear the gospel? Did I go to a Billy Graham crusade or something like that? Did somebody give me a Bible? You know, Paul says he saw a great life and a voice from heaven. They were all thrown to the ground. Um, now, your testimony is less, is less dramatic than Paul's, for sure. But it's still your testimony. It's exactly what happened to you. It's your encounter. Now, the third thing is what we call AD, my life after Christ. You know, this is very personal and individual. And we should also um, speak to how the truth of the gospel promises have been fulfilled. My life has been changed. I'm not that old, angry person. My habits have changed. People have noticed the difference in me. And most importantly, my sins, all of my sins have been forgiven. I know I'm going to heaven. I'll see my loved ones that also trusted in Jesus when I get to heaven as well. You know, the last part we saw with Paul's testimony was he challenged the king, King Agrippa, to make a decision. You know, that's called calling the question. And I think that's important. You know, in sales, every salesman knows that they've got to be able to close the sale. Don't be afraid to ask people to, to make a commitment. Just don't tell them about Jesus. Don't just tell them about your life. But ask them if they'd like to at least know more. Would they like to come to church with you? Would they like to start reading the Bible with you? Would they like to pray with you at that very moment and accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior? You know, the Bible says that we believe in, if we believe in, if we confess it with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. Now, there's no formulas to make Jesus the Lord of your life, but it begins with a simple testimony of hearing the gospel, hearing the gospel message, finding out how Jesus is able to change lives. I just pray that you would feel comfortable in being able to communicate your message, your testimony to others, to be able to reach people for Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for the... You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.